Welcome back to the Pittsburgh Sports Cast, where two college students discuss all things Pittsburgh sports all year round. I'm Ryan. And I'm Chris. And today we are finally back for episode three. We apologize to everyone for the delay, but Chris, we got a lot of things that we got to catch up on. Yes, we do. So we'll start out first with the Steelers versus the Eagles in the second preseason game of the season. They won, uh, they being the Steelers, won 24-216 at Lincoln Financial Field, Field in Philadelphia. And Ryan, after having a week, a little over a week to dwell on it, what are your initial thoughts? Or post-initial thoughts? I don't know. Uh, I was not too impressed with Mason Rudolph, to be quite frank. Uh, of course, he was given the Steeler offense pretty much first string Steeler offense at his disposal, and he just couldn't put together any really solid drives, really. He he did have an 8 out of 9 completion, but he's only, he only threw 77 yards, so a lot of that was just short tosses. Uh, and frankly, with this, with this Eagles defense, I'm not, which I wasn't really impressed with at all. They're not slated to be one of the top in the league. I just was not impressed with Mason Rudolph. Um, speaking of defense, I think the Steelers defense really kind of let us down early on with the big play. Again, we see the secondaries are coming to another big play. And luckily, Dwayne Haskins, who I spoke very highly of in uh, our last episode, pull through again and I really like what I've seen so far from him this preseason. Uh Chris agree or disagree? Agree. Um my only thing is I wish we could see him against um other top players, right? Of course. He, he's only picking I mean only playing against, you know, third and fourth string guys who are realistically not gonna make the football team. So I would like to see him play, you know, against some better competition with some better weapons that, you know, the Steelers do have. I don't have the exact stats from the Eagles game. I have a lot of stats from the Lions game, but not the Eagles one. But from what I recall, um, he played well. I think he missed a couple throws. He, He definitely led them to more touchdowns. I know for a fact, I think it was three or four touchdown drives he led them on. Yeah. Um, well, 24 16 can't be four, so it had to be three. Um, so that's how math works. Yes. Yeah, with Mason, like, he throws a good deep ball, but he doesn't throw it enough. It's weird. Like, the offense moves, but it doesn't. Like, it's not dangerous. Does that make sense? Oh, of course. I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah, like Mason, like if you put Mason Rudolph out there, at least so far in this preseason, and going back to his one start against the Cleveland Browns, like there weren't a lot of three and outs. Like he moved the football, it just wasn't explosive. There weren't the there weren't the big plays um, or anything like that. It was very methodical. He he would pick up a couple first downs, and then it would just seem to die. Now, from what I recall in the Eagles game. There were a lot of penalties. We had a couple holding calls that, you know, kind of slowed some drives down and set us behind the chains. But, again, even going into the Lions game, which, you know, we'll touch more deeply on later in the show, um, 
when he took over the Lions offense, I mean, not the Lions offense, LOL, but the Steelers offense against the Lions, it was, again, very methodical, but no touchdowns, you know? I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. I don't know exactly what word to describe that as. Uh, I know, I think methodical is a good word, at least once you, at least until he got to midfield. Um, that's one of the things I know it's been plaguing the Steelers, especially since, like, even going back to since Jerome Bettis retired, um, red zone, red zone success, I think. Like, seeing guys and, like, being able to punch it in, I think, has been... Like, I can't tell you how many times, like, through the Ben Roethlisberger era, I've seen Jeff Reed trot out there at the end of a drive, or Sean Sweezum, or Chris Boswell. Uh, I know that red zone offense is heavily scrutinized, and it's one of the crucial aspects of the game that, you know, everybody looks at, but... I don't know if the eye test has failed me here, but it just seems that the Steelers have been very underwhelming historically in that regard. And especially it became evident once we saw Mason Rudolph. I know he, I don't even think we scored at all with Rudolph, or did we? Mm, no, I, no, we were shot out in the first quarter, 10 nothing. That I is, believe. yes, we were. So, and then I think Haskins, yeah, because Haskins took over. He and did. Then he started scoring. Yeah. But I mean, it, he's like the definition of mediocre, which I guess is what you want in a backup. But I think the issue is Steeler fans as a whole aren't looking for just a backup. They're looking for a bench replacement. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where things are getting lost in translation a little bit, talking about Mason Rudolph. As I think he, he, he is a good backup. I think he could be a very capable backup in the National Football League. But Steeler fans know the Ben Air is coming to an end. And we're looking for that successor. And I don't necessarily know if Mason Rudolph has that talent to be that successor. While Dwayne Haskins, on the other hand, you know, again, he's only going against third and fourth stringers. But is looking really, really good and maybe better than just a backup, but that, you know, successor role that everyone's trying to uh, crown him with. But yeah, not only are you looking for that long-term successor, but uh, even in the short term, you'll, you you need, if you're the Steelers, you need a backup that's going to be have to be able to step in at a big moment, at a big game, at any time, because we know Ben's injury history throughout his career. It is the exception for Ben Roethlisberger to play a full season every game rather than the norm. If you look through his career timeline, whether it be for an injury or a suspension or something else, you know that that backup is going to have to step in comparatively much more often than backups for other NFL teams. So I think Mason Rudolph, I think, will find his a home as the backup quarterback on maybe another NFL team with a more solid quarterback that they know can be there in the long term and who they know can stay healthy as opposed to Ben. But on the Steelers, I just don't think it's the right fit. Like you said, we're looking at the next generation. We're looking at his replacement. 
because we are counting down the days. It seems like for the past three or four seasons, we were saying, is this it for Ben Roethlisberger? And every year up until now, he's come back. But there's eventually going to be a year where he's going to decide to hang it up or his body just won't take it anymore. And right now, I agree with you, Chris. I trust in Dwayne Haskins more than I trust Mason Rudolph to be that successor. Like I said, I still would want to see Haskins go up against proper NFL first choice offense or defenses. But if you just look on paper and look at the eye test, you know, Haskins played explosive football, not just methodical, mediocre stuff that we saw from Rudolph through his past two and now three preseason games. Again, we'll get to the third later, but everything's pointing in the direction of Dwayne Haskins. I just really hope that in this fourth preseason game, we'll get to see what he looks like uh, against more top quality opponents. But like I said, we'll get to that discussion down the road. Um, I guess the only other thing to touch upon with the against the Eagles game was the big play given up, um, which is something that has victimized a very good Steelers defense over the past half decade. But something that's it seems to be an Achilles heel for the Steelers defense. Um, get I think Sutton got beat. Um, I had to go rewatch the play. Like I said, this was about a week and a half ago as we're recording it. So excuse me for my fog and memory. Um, but from what I recall on the defensive side of that game, Devin Bush had a bad game. He got beat for a big play. Cam Sutton, I know, a couple times got beat. And they just overall looked very sloppy. Yeah, I, I think I'd have to uh, agree with you there. Big plays like how many times watching the Steelers have we seen a team go third and long? I will audibly groan sometimes that there's a third and long play. It's almost the expectation that they're going to get it. You know, like we've seen the Steelers can make good stands on like third and medium, third and short. But once you get past like eight yards, it gets pretty sketchy. And I think that's due to our historic secondary issues. Like, our, historically, even going back as far as the 70s, the Steel Curtain name came from the front seven, right? And that has been the Steelers' legacy for almost 50 years now. That front seven, that D-line, and those linebackers and edge rushers are what have won them pretty much six Super Bowls. And every single Super Bowl the Steelers won, the main show was the front seven of the Steelers' defense in the 70s and the 2000s. The only exception to this on a good Steelers team was that 2017 team, but that was one time in about 50 years. And so, like, it's just something that I wish could get better, but it almost seems like a chronic issue at this point with the Steelers team. I don't know how we could fix it. I don't know if if it's cultural. Like I said, it could be systemic. I mean, we've seen with the head coaching carousel remaining relatively stagnant over the last 50 years. I just don't know how we can fix it. Well, I would argue, at least with the secondary issue, was it the 09 Super Bowl when you have Paul Amalu, Ike Taylor, Ryan Clark? Like, that's a solid secondary. 
True, but I do remember their run defense was still the number one ranked in the league, and their pass yeah. defense was like middle, middle of it. Yes, I do recall that. So I think that's enough for the Eagles game, just considering it was so long ago. And then we'll do a much, much deeper dive into the Lions game, which was obviously just last last night as, as of the date we're recording this. Um, so we won that one against the Detroit Lions. First game that Heinz Field has allowed full capacity since the 2019 season, had 45,000 fans show up and a Steelers victory of 26 to 20. What are your thoughts on the game? Uh, Big Ben is still Big Ben. Um, he's looking, he, 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 for the series he was out there, he looked like his good, good self that we saw in his first 11 games of the 2020 season. If he can keep playing like this, I really like our chances. But it's always an if with Ben Roethlisberger because we've talked already. We've talked numerous times on this podcast about his injury history. Like I said, that will always be a question mark. But as long as we get this Ben, I'm really liking it. And again, going back to Mason Rudolph, again, let me down. Like, at some point, like, this is why I really hope that Dwayne Haskins gets the nod against Carolina, who, if I'm right, we are playing in our last preseason game. Yes, it's the annual Carolina game. <laughs> yes. I really hope Dwayne Haskins gets the nod as the starting role, because we obviously know that Ben will not see another snap until week one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be down between Haskins and Rudolph. I would be very disappointed in Mike Tomlin if Mason Rudolph starts the last preseason game after what we've seen from him in the first three games. I think for me, um, just initial initial thoughts before we break everything down. Um, that offense looked fantastic. It did. Um, now I'm not going to claim we're going to win the Super Bowl or anything, but I think you know we need to claim your know, parades, everybody. No, <laughs> right. Uh, but we need to give credit where credit is due, and I think we need to take a step back as a fan base, right? And and the thing about you know, Ben's working with a new offensive coordinator, right, in Matt Canada. After two or three abysmal years with Randy Finkner as offensive coordinator, um, you know you have Matt Canada, who Pitt fans will know, you know, since <laughs> this is an all Pitt, you know, Pittsburgh sportscast podcast, that Matt Canada was a Pitt offensive coordinator. Um, I believe he was offensive coordinator when we went to the nat- uh, not national title game. I wish the, uh, <laughs> the ACC title game when we got beat by Clemson. We played yeah. Clemson a lot. Have you noticed? Um, and so, and I think it's just important to recognize that this is a new offensive coordinator. And first time that Ben and the starters with the starting offensive line and the weapons, aside from Chase Claypool, who had that injury, uh, practice, um, world's ankle, (laughs) got to play in a game. And if you go, they played three drives. And if you look at the drives, right, um... The, the third down that they didn't convert was Vintage Big Ben, right? Was things broke down, a couple Lions tried to drag him down and couldn't, and he threw a dime to Eric Ebron, who I, for the love of me, cannot figure out why he can't catch a football. As a professional football player, whose job is to catch the football, 
how come Aaron Ebron can drop so many passes is unbelievable to me. Um, because if I recall, Ben was went you know eight for ten, 137 yards, and could have been nine for ten if Eric Ebron knew how to catch a football. <laughs> um, and then the other two drives were touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, fantastic drives, both times converted on third down. We were kind of, we we were talking off um camera about you know Najee Harris 46 yard reception um kind of reminds you of, of a little bit of Le'Veon Bell right who's not just a runner of the football but is an avid catcher of the football and Ben loves a running back who can catch on third down and move those chains and not only was Najee able to catch the ball he was able to break one right and then I think my star of the game or MVP or whatever you want to call it was Pat Fireman um Rookie out of Penn State, two touchdowns, and great catches. You know, we, I, I on this podcast, and in my personal life, consistently complain about Eric Ebon and why he can't catch the football. Um, but Pat Firemuth, especially that second catch where he had to turn around, was a bit behind him and caught it. He prides himself on catching everything. It was great to see a big offensive weapon like that in the red zone, which hopefully will give um, teams nightmares. Yeah, I, I always love those red zone, those red zone tight ends. Uh, Jesse James comes to mind. But yeah, Heath Miller. Yes, of course. Who could forget Heath Miller? I wonder if they'll give him the Heath chant when he catches the <laughs> ball. <laughs> Never know, but yeah, I, I really wish Eric Ebron could catch the football. It always seems like there's at least one person in our receiving slash tight end core who just can't catch the ball, whether it be... Lyle um, Sammy Coates. Coates. Deontay, a couple years ago. Yeah. Oh, last year he led the league of drops last year. Yeah, yeah, that's true. James Washington to a certain extent. Um, yeah. So- do you want to talk about the defense, or do you want to do the backup QB discussion? Uh, I feel like, uh, I don't know what happened in the fourth quarter, man, with the defense. <laughs> yeah. That, um, yeah. The stars looked well, though. Yeah, I will, that's, that's one, uh, consolation is when the defense blew up, it was not the starters. No, it was the second Ironically, the people who played really well against the Eagles were the ones who, like, self-destructed last night. Yeah, um, it almost seems vice versa, too. Because the starting defense was um, first 11 games. It, you know, the Steelers, it's, it seems like the Steelers have been quite bipolar over the last year and a half. They're either firing on all cylinders or can't do anything. You know, we saw it at the 11-game stretch, and then we saw it the last six games, including that playoff game against the Browns, we saw how how inconsistent this team could be. And but yeah, I like the start. I like the way the first string did shut them out for three quarters. Even though I well, don't the think first string only played the first half. But yeah, but I'm saying even the second string shut them out for the third quarter, and then the fourth quarter came, and. Uh, yeah. They almost blew it. I mean, I thought Cam Hayward played well. You know who I've been impressed with this preseason so far? 
Alex Highsmith. Yes. Alex Highsmith has has reassured because I think a lot of people in Steel Nation were concerned after losing Bud Dupree. We're like, what are we gonna get? Dupree was such a good pass rusher with TJ Watt. And you know, we brought in Ingram from San Diego, not San Diego, oh my word. Los Angeles. Chargers. I San Diego. Um, and still should be in San Diego, but that's a whole different discussion. Dean Spanos can go yes. do whatever. Well, well so I digress. Well, so does Stan Kroenke. Okay. That's a different discussion we can get to. We digress. <laughs> we digress. From yelling at the Los Angeles football team's owners. Um, but I thought, what was I saying? Oh yeah, with Ingram, and then if Highsmith can continue what he's doing in the preseason and regular season, I feel much better with the combination of Watt, Ingram, and Highsmith than I did, let's say, at the beginning of training camp. Um, Hayden, I thought played a really good game. I thought Minka played a really good game. Um, Cam Sutton, I think, still learning to be a number two corner. Um, so I think that's just going to be some learning. I thought Lane didn't get beat all the time, <laughs> which he had been the previous two games. So I think Lane hopefully is taking some steps of improvement. Um, defense. Joe Schobert. Um, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you know the Steelers traded for him and gave him the green dot, which is, you know, the mic they call the defense. I'm taking the responsibility away from Devin Bush. I know there were people within the fan base who were very upset. I'm not upset, but concerned that Devin Bush um, hasn't lived up to expectation or, you know, isn't playing well. But Sherwood has some experience. Devin Bush, you know, is coming off that ACL injury. And I don't know. I think it's a good decision. But I don't know. What do you think about the Devin Bush, Joe Schobert? You know, who gets to call the defense? Yeah, I think... Uh, I think we got to see what Schobert can do. Like you said, he, you have you have that experience, which is very valued in the National Football League, especially when you've got that green dot uh, mic'd up, basically being the communication line between your coach and your, def- and your defense. Uh, uh, Devin Bush... Is what? This is his third year? Third year, but really only his second because he got exactly. so early last year. Exactly. So he's still, like, he's still very much early on in his career. And, you know, maybe this gives him a bit of a break. And now he can just focus on doing his job in the defense of, of being a cog in that wheel rather than also having to be that communication line, that vital communication line. Um, plus, it also allows him to focus on making sure that his knee is a-okay, you know, as he continues to improve after his ACL injury. So, I I think I agree with I think I agree with Tomlin's decision here. Um, controversial, uh, bold, but uh, I like it so far. Especially seeing how the defense performed yesterday. Another aspect that I think people don't realize with the Joe Schobert trade is that it it means Robert Spillane doesn't have to play every down, which is such a bla- blessing because that man cannot cover to save his soul. <laughs> he is so bad in coverage. Spillane, the only reason 
he plays as much as he plays is because of that one hit on Derrick Henry. <laughs> when Devin Bush first ran down, and Derrick Henry's about on the goal and about to score, and Spillane hit him back. Right? And Steelers Nation lost their mind. And like, he is the best player ever. And then he does absolutely nothing after that. He can't cover. He can stop the run, or the run all, all right. I'll give him credit for that. But in pass, because an everyday linebacker or a three-down linebacker needs to be able to pass coverage and the matter, or defend the pass in the modern NFL, right? Because you have Travis Kelsey and mm-hmm. Rob Gronkowski and George Kittle and the tight ends who, who are such a weapon in, in the modern NFL. And Spillane just can't do it at this level. So I'm glad that hopefully Schobert, who can cover tight ends, hopefully can help and this keeps Spillane as a, you know, run stopper as opposed to a coverage man. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that really helps. Uh, it means Spillane can become that pass coverage like specialist. Um, Schobert, I think, was a very underrated acquisition. I don't think there was a lot of hype behind it, but I think it's I think Mike Tomlin has, or I guess Kevin Colbert has, I think, made the right move here. Like I said, time will tell. We haven't even seen him play a regular season snap for us. Uh, but I think he's, I think he's about to have a really solid season. I think he's going to be a very vital piece in the hopefully vaunted Steelers defense this year. Yes, I, I agree. Um, I think, like I said, it's an improvement on Spillane. It takes pressure off of um, their, uh, Devin, Devin Bush. Bush. So I think all in all, and he didn't give up a lot. It's only, what, like a sixth or seventh round pick? Yeah, it was very underwhelming return for the Chargers. Or was it the Chargers? No, I'm thinking. No, of- um... He he played in Cleveland and then Jacksonville. I, I was I was thinking of yeah Ingram. You're thinking, I was of, thinking Ingram. of Ingram. Yeah, and I got my trades mixed up. <laughs> um. So thoughts on the backup QB? Unless you want to touch anything else on the defense. I think I think we've said what needed to be said on the defense. Obviously, MVPs uh, for the team, probably uh, Schobert and uh, really, really the way that whole defense cogged together, which I guess, I guess could be put on Schobert since he's the guy with the green dot. But yeah, uh, but, but yeah, uh, as for the backup QB situations. Uh, again, Dwayne Haskins doing Dwayne Haskins things. He made a ton of third down conversions. Was kind of disappointed he wasn't able to punch it in the end zone. Um, but again, kind of disappointing that it couldn't be against the full strength. But I can't. Oh, what? Yeah, no, I said continue. Oh, but yeah, I I still like Dwayne Haskins. It was another positive 
performance. Three in a row from him. And again, yeah. Um, see, here, here's my thing. Is that I think, personally, I think uh, Dwayne Haskins should be the backup QB2. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's going to happen, though. I know. I think, I think Tomlin and um, Matt Canada are going to give it to Mason Rudolph. And here's why I say it. And I will let you know that I do disagree with it. But here's what I say. Because when Mason Rudolph first came into the game, he was still playing with the starters. He was still playing with the starters. Because Juju was still out there. Eric Ebron was still out there. Deontay Johnson was still out there. So he was playing with starters. And if you're not QB2, I don't think Tomlin's going to play you with starters. So the fact that Mason Rudolph played with starters tells me he's going to be QB2. Now, Kevin Colbert does have a history of keeping three quarterbacks, right? So I think they're going to keep all three. I think Ben, Mason, and Dwayne will all be in the quarterback room and they'll probably scratch, you know, Dwayne on game day. But, yeah, I, I just... And the thing, too, Dwayne Haskins only had the one drive. Because yeah. the defense decided when to play the entire second half. He it what the Lions got the ball and they play and they held it for like four minutes. And then Dwayne Haskins got the ball and he got a field goal, had a really nice run to convert on third down, had a couple of nice, you know, throwaways. Um and then the defense just played the rest of the game. They're like, oh yeah, we're allowed like a ninety-six yard touchdown drive. And then the special team's like, you know what we're going to do. We're going to allow an onside kick. And then the CLC friends like, yeah, we'll let them keep the ball another seven minutes. Yeah. And, like, he never had an opportunity to show himself, which isn't his fault. It's a stupid defense's fault. They wouldn't get off the field in the second half. Um, so we really didn't get to see him last night because he only got two drives, one of which he scored on, which is only a field goal, I understand. Yeah. And with Mason Rudolph, I'm trying to think on the night one. So we won by 20, we won 26 to 20. Ben scored 14, and so that means if Dwayne scored a field goal, 17. So Mason put three field goals together, which again, which is what the dichotomy of of Mason Rudolph is, right? It's yeah, he's average, but he doesn't score touchdowns, right? He because the one, especially the one field goal drive was what, like ninety-three yards or something. Um, I yeah, think, that was that was really solid. I'll give him that one. Yeah, like he played. Again, all right. What? He said, "All right." He played all right. Yeah, he played all right. Which again, I guess is what you want in the backup. This to play all right, but. I don't know, I would have loved to see more Dwayne Haskins, obviously, but that's not on him, that's on the defense. Yeah. And I think Mike Tomlin told, told us as fans a lot by having Mason Rudolph play with the starters and not Haskins. It's, it's so frustrating. Because I think Dwayne Haskins, one day, can take this team. I really, really, in my heart, believe that. I just... 
Tomlin, for whatever reason, just has more faith in Mason. Maybe that's because Mason's more proven, right? Is Mason proven? I don't know. See? Because we played that one season when Ben got hurt in, like, the second game. We, we played 500 football. But, again, I that was, like, because we had the best defense in the league. And teams yeah, just I was going to say, our defense was the only reason. We literally were going, we were tag-teaming Mason and Duck for... What? That whole, like, that's how, like, you think, that's how bad Mason Rudolph was. He got benched by Duck Hodges for half the season. Yeah, I, you know what? I forgot about that. That's a very good point. He did get benched. Yeah. Yeah. He, only, know, he only won the, well, technically, at that point, it was a starting job because Ben had his arm screwed up. And the last game of the season, like, one of the last games of the season... Because Duck threw a pick or something. And only after Duck had to lose his job the same way Mason did, no one really won the backup or the starting quarterback position that year because it was just a matter of who who was the least bad. Yeah, honestly, that's what it was. And like I said... I think Mason can be a, a good backup, which I guess for this season is all you want, maybe? I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what Tom, what Tomlin's decision-making is, or thought, not decision-making, but thought process, right? Um, with the quarterback. I'm telling you, if he cuts Dwayne Haskins, that's going to be a violent podcast, my friend. <laughs> it's, so, <laughs> it's so ironic because, of course, I'll... One of our our best friends who, I don't know, hopefully he's listening. Hello, you know who you are if you're listening. But he's a big Washington football team fan. And he was laughing at us when we signed Dwayne Haskins. He was saying, good luck, you know. Y'all got Mm -hmm. the worst quarterback in the league. But now we're sitting here going, if he gets cut, we're about to burn down the building. Like, good on Dwayne Haskins, I guess. It seems like he's got his mind straightened out. And I really hope that Mike Tomlin rewards him for his good performances yeah, by at least making him QB. Like, if if not QB2, at least keeping him on the 53. Yes, because that's, that's my thing. If, if Tomlin's plan here, and again, we can only speculate, right? But if Tomlin's plan is to have Dwayne do like a redshirt year in college, right? You know... I guess that wouldn't be awful if you just have Dwayne, you know, scratched for 17 games and then have, you know, ride Ben and Mason. Because here's the thing. If if Ben gets hurt, I'm going to pray to our Heavenly Father he does not. (laughs) But if Ben gets hurt, do you slide Mason Rudolph automatically in as a starter or do you have a quarterback competition? Because that's going to even be my thing. If Ben gets himself hurt, it wouldn't be Ben getting himself hurt. It would be the offensive line being trashed. So I will say they looked good last night. I'll give them credit. Credit where credit is due. They looked really good. Amidst all the questions that we have given uh, that are around that offensive line, they looked really good. That's the thought point. Yeah. Um, but if Ben does get hurt, it will be interesting to see, you know, do they slide Mason Rudolph into that automatic number two? Is it an open quarterback competition if Mason Rudolph comes in and doesn't do well? 
um, you know, what is Mason's leash if Ben gets hurt? Um, you know, there's a lot of questions if Ben goes down. And again, we hope he doesn't go down because if, if what we saw lessens any, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like future, not future considerations. That's what happens in the trade. But uh, premonition um, for what the regular season may hold, this offense can be really, really good, I think. Um, barring the offensive line stays functional. So I really don't want Ben to get hurt. It's it's very interesting. Because I, what, I, what I'm talking myself into right now is Mason Rudolph probably being QB2 and just letting Dwayne Haskins have a year to steady film and mature. But I would, I don't know, but a part of me wants to see him as QB2, though. Because yeah. another thing, too, is you could trade Mason Rudolph if you really want to. Like, you telling me the Dallas Cowboys wouldn't take Mason Rudolph as a backup for Dak? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, in in Dallas' defense, uh, their backup QB, I mean, the backup QB came, uh, dropped Hail Mary away from beating us. But I digress. Uh, I think if you're Dallas, I think Mason Rudolph's the guy you want. Not necessarily a guy who you're counting on to be the future, the way Pittsburgh is, but just a guy who is okay, is is not going to be a liability when he steps onto the football field. And like I said, for most NFL teams, that's all you really need a backup quarterback, and that's a job Mason Rudolph can do. But for the Pittsburgh Steelers, you need a guy with a high upside that can prove himself to be Ben Roethlisberger's successor. And frankly, I had given up in 2019 on Mason Rudolph after I saw him get benched for Duck. That was when I was ready to punt, no pun intended, on him. Um, But I think even though we have not seen him against the best quality offenses, I think Dwayne Haskins has proved that he, even even if we can't objectively say he's better than Mason Rudolph right now, he has a higher upside and a higher ceiling, and he has more potential than Mason to be that next Ben Roethlisberger, that next guy who you who can step in and be that long-term Steelers quarterback that we need after he inevitably hangs it up. Does that not give the argument then for um to redshirt him? Yeah, but... I also feel that uh, I also feel that Dobbs can do what Mason Rudolph is doing. So then, here's my question. So then, you actively look for a trade for Mason Rudolph? Because I, I don't know if like straight cutting him's the answer. Oh no, we gotta get. I think, we, like you said, I think a team like the Cowboys, uh, who who are in need of a backup, who are still looking at a question mark with their starting QB but who know that he's going to be there for the long term. Uh, solid backup, yeah. I think a team like the Cowboys could use Mason Rudolph. But I would not be opposed to him staying as QB2 and letting Dwayne Haskins uh, learn the system. I also think, like, I really like his mental state so far, but I think it would also really humble him because I think part of the reason he was so off the wall in his time in Washington is he was thrown in as the starter. Um, whereas here, he's looking at being third string. And I think he needed that 
or needs that sort of humbling to like really make sure that his mindset is where we need it to be. I agree with that. So if you're Mike Tomlin, what, what's your final decision? I think I got a, if, like I said, always, always keep the line open. If someone throws a good offer for, for Mason Rudolph, which I don't know what that would be, um, I'm not Kevin Colbert, but if you like the offer, then then go ahead and take it, and then you can either roll with Dobbs as QB two or see. I don't know if Hoskins could be QB two just yet, but I think at the end of the day, what I'd like to see is the red shirt option that you just described Mason Rudolph can sit there and be QB2 and be not a liability but not an asset which is like we said a backup quarterback to be frank uh and then Dwayne Haskins can just sit back and you know work on becoming the next Ben Roethlisberger yeah, I, the more I think about this retro idea, the more I think it's a good idea. You know what's also interesting, kind of switching topics? The Steelers running back room. Ooh. They have like seven running backs, dude. They have yeah, they're going to they're gonna have to cut somebody, somebody, somebody good. I mean, not necessarily good, but... Someone who's been on the team. Because they have Najee Harris. He's not done. Anthony McFarland, Jalen yep. Samuels, Benny Snell, that Belage guy they signed, and um, Edmonds' brother, Trey Edmonds. Yeah. That's six running backs, bro. You, you're not even six running backs. Yeah. You're maybe three? Yeah. I feel like not, they're going to keep Najee, obviously. obviously. I feel like Najee's the only lock, and then it's a free-for-all the next... I, I would like to see Anthony McFarland said it. I thought he's taking the jump from year one to year two. Oh, uh, yeah. and then from there, like Benny Snell's been hurt this preseason. Um, Balage has played well. I thought in the preseason games he's played. Jalen Samuels, they just love Jalen Samuels for whatever reason. I'm not entirely sure why. I mean, he's an all right player, nothing special. They're gonna have some tough decisions in that. Um, Receiving room, not re- well, receiving room too, but um, running back room. But we can talk about that next preseason game because that's going to be the final cut. Yep. Final thoughts from the preseason game before we move on. Um, excited about what the offense could be on the Matt Cannabis offense coordinator. Um, excited what Ben could do if he stays healthy. Really wish Eric Ebron knew how to catch a football. Hmm. And uh, the defense played really, really well. The starters before, you know, the awful guys came in. Yeah. Uh, I think I agree. And I would also like to add that um, I hope Dwayne Haskins at least gets a start because I really want to see a proper evaluation of where he is in terms of NFL readiness. Agreed. All right. But I don't think Tom's going to do that. <laughs> Actual. Uh, switching topics here. 
to probably well we'll do this um the pirates took two out of three from st louis ending a um losing 14 out of 15 games hmm. so not a good start to baseball no um but the most important news would be gregory polanco has officially been waived by the pittsburgh pirates officially ending the 2013 to 2015 pittsburgh pirates which yep. for many pirates fans including you and i was the highlight of our baseball lives those three summers were some of the best summers i've had just go in the game seeing pnc sold out almost every weekend um I'm still so mad about that 98-win team. How well, that team didn't even win a series blows my mind. <laughs> gotta love the MLB playoff format with the one-game playoffs and wild card. Because that's the only reason we lost. We, we happened to be stuck. We happened to be in the division with the three best teams in baseball. We were the second best team in baseball, but the best team was also in our division. And then we happened to have to play against the third best team in baseball, who was also in our division, and happened to have a pitcher on the run of his entire life. Really, it was a carbon copy of two or of 2014, because we had Madison Bumgarner, who probably pitched one of the greatest postseasons in the history of baseball, and it all started with us. But that 2015 team, we won 98 games and we played one playoff game. Uh, and then, um, and then it just fell off the table. So let me ask you this, Ryan. Sum up your thoughts on Polanco. Sum up your thoughts on that 2013-2015 run. And yeah, just go. To be honest, I think Polanco was a disappointment. I, uh, he came in with a lot of hype. I think, even pros, I think out of the all the outfield prospects, or the out of the three outfielders that were part of that core, I think Polanco had by far the greatest hype into his debut. Uh, I think McCutcheon had a little bit of hype, mainly because it was after the McClough trade when he was the face of the franchise and he was supposed to be the the next guy that was going to step up. But I don't think anyone expected him to be the face of the franchise for, what, nine seasons at that point. Um, Starling Marte, of course, didn't really... You didn't really hear too much about him until he hit that first pitch home run, his first pitch of his career in Houston. Um, I'd say his time was exist, but Polanco was slated to be one of the guys, you know, one of the top dogs in this franchise that was going to be up there with McCutcheon and those guys. Um, and I think like there were times where I just think he was underwhelming. You know, he had a ton of strikeouts, I think in his career, um, his his defense kind of trailed off. 
I will say when he first came up in those 2014 and 15, he had the best arm, I think, in baseball. He he led all right fielders and outfield assists in 2015. Uh, I remember if you were trying to go first to third on a single to right, you weren't going to do that on Polanco. And that was a huge asset, his defense. Although there were some question marks out there. He could never he really trouble tracking the ball. Yeah, he did have trouble tracking the ball, but it's throwing like his throwing always like made up. He kind of made up. He kind of reminded me a little bit of Cespedes in that way. Because mm. Cespedes is kind of the same way. He, he, he had a little trouble tracking the ball and like actually feeling the ball, but he had a gun for an arm. Um, his bat was so much better than Polanco's though. Yes, that's like. I feel like I feel like that was the expectation for Polanco. I feel like that was that could have been his ceiling, and I would have I would have been perfectly content with that, and that would have met my expectation for Polanco if he ended up like Cespedes. But sadly, his bat just wasn't what it was hyped up to be. Who do you think? I'm gonna give you three names, and you rank them in terms of the biggest disappointments. With, with with playing strictly for the Pirates, not saying what they did when they left the Pirates, but just for the Pirates. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna give you three names. I'm gonna give you Starling Marte. Okay. I'm gonna give you Gregory Polanco. And I'm gonna give you Garrett Cole. Uh, I don't think I don't think Cole was a disappointment at all, frankly. I think like I think that he was a big reason why that 2013 to 15 team was where it was far more important than Polanco ever was. He was the ace of the rotation. But his ERA was fantastic though. What? But his ERA wasn't like what it is now. Like Oh, obviously, and I think Spider Tech would have would have something to do with that if I'm being quite honest. But like, uh cuz my thing is the way he pitched for the Pirates, and then the way he pitched for the Astros and Yankees, those are two different pitchers. Yeah, I know. And, and you can't really convince me that we got the best of Garrett Cole when he was here. You know? Yeah, I I think it was the spider tack. I think that might have been... Like, obviously, Ray Searage and his pitch-to-contact philosophy and his... Um, his uh, across the board system without regard to every pitcher's individual style and strengths and weaknesses um, I think really hurt Garrett Cole I think the biggest disappointment was not necessarily on him but on Ray Searage and the pitching coaching staff in terms of Garrett Cole but I don't think I would be disappointed necessarily obviously he wasn't the Cy Young candidate but he was I would say the best pitcher in our rotation, even better than than Liriano, because Garrett Cole was the guy who started Game Five of the NL NLDS. Garrett Cole was the guy who controversially yeah, but he I remember the wild card game though. In, like, in twenty fifteen, in twenty fifteen he did. In twenty in twenty fourteen, I remember there was a lot of backlash when. Uh, he was started for the last regular season game, and then he couldn't pitch the wild card game. Um, that honor was given to Edinson Volquez. Um, but he was our best pitcher, at least in 14 and 15. He was our best pitcher. 
Like I said, it, he, like the disappointment, I guess, was that he wasn't a Cy Young candidate with us. But that's my thing, though, right? Because, yes, I, I said we're going to just do it, you know, without, you know, looking at what they did in, the, you know, when they left here. But even even when he was coming up, you heard um, this is a Cy Young candidate. Well, yeah, number one overall pick, right? Number one overall pick. Um, UCLA, future Cy Young, you know, all this hype. And I just feel like he never truly lived up to it. Like, he might have been the best player in our rotations. And I even think that's arguable. Um, it's a toss up between him and Liriano for that. Right. That's what I'm saying. And yeah. for a guy who was as hyped as Cole was, I just don't think he lived up to expectations. I think I think Marte about met expectations, to be honest. I think he do think kind of ruined it for a lot of people. I think. Yeah, but because if you're taking PEDs, you have to be better. <laughs> like I be wrong about it, but if you're taking illegal substances, at least like be consistent all star. Well, in, in his era, in this era now, yes, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, like half the league was on him, so I'm not talking when we were three. <laughs> Very true. Uh, but yeah, I guess in that regard, that PED thing was kind of a letdown. Um, Polanco, I think, like if we just look, take things at like face value of how they performed for the team versus like their expectation. I'd say, like, yes, Garrett Cole was not a signing candidate with the Pirates, but he was still the best pitcher in top to bottom one of the top five rotations in all of baseball for that three-year tenure. That was, that rotation won us or is the reason we made the playoffs those three straight years. Our offense was inconsistent. They had had its moments, but we only had, I think we only had one 30 homer season combined, and that was 2013 Pedro Alvarez. Was, I think, the only 30 homer season we had in those he, three years. He's a case, too. He he's another, yeah, I think you have to throw him in the disappointments list in the conversation. Because he had that one good season where he tied for the NL lead in home runs. And other than that, he was pretty much, he was, he was very much like, a three true outcomes player. He had such a high strikeout percentage. He, I, I'll say he was he was ahead of his time. I think, I think if he had played in the juice, I think he if he had gotten a consistent starting role, if he had come up into the major leagues in that juice ball era of 2016 to 2019, I think he would have thrived because, uh, back when the ball was more juiced and home runs were much like home runs were just as common as strikeouts instead of far less common than strikeouts like it is now i think i think he would have fared a lot better but the ball just wasn't as juiced as it as it was in that era his ability or lack of up to throw the ball to third base to first base blew my mind too. i know we actually had to change into first base he got steve sack syndrome you mean steve blast yeah, Steve. Well, Steve Blass is for a pitcher, but Steve Sachs 
had a similar problem where he couldn't throw the ball to first on routine runners. I still remember the time where it seemed like it fell off the rails for him in terms of throwing the ball to first. It was, we were playing the Brewers in 2014. It was just this random regular season game. And backup catcher for the Brewers, Martin Maldonado, came up and he hit a ground ball to third and he literally hit the cover partially off the ball. I remember that. And Pedro threw this dud to first. And ever since then, he couldn't throw the baseball across the diamond. And that, I think, I don't know if it screwed him up mentally or what it did, but... Like, it, it, it was 99% pure coincidence, I'm sure, but... Yeah. It just seemed like before then, he was okay. And then after that, fifth row or the dirt. So do you think Polanco's the biggest disappointment? I, I, think, I think so. Um, Not just, like... Because he wasn't even a consistent All-Star like Eric Cole was. Yeah. Because Eric Cole, I think, made the All-Star team almost, like, even in the... I don't, maybe not 2016 and 17, but those three years, he was an all-star in 14 and 15, because in 13, he was making his debut, but in 14 and 15, he was an all-star. And like you said, top pitcher in a top five rotation, it, the only disappointment was that he wasn't the Cy Young candidate. But I don't think we really, like the only situation where we needed a Cy Young candidate were those one-game playoffs. Unfortunately, that came back to bite us, and that's where that, disappointment factor sets in but it was only because we put ourselves in that scenario by not winning the division and so at the end of the day Gregory Polanco is my biggest disappointment because I don't even know if he even made an all-star game and it's I don't he didn't I know yeah and that's the biggest disappointment for me because he was everyone thought he was going to be an all-star every year with us and he just you know who materialized. it was you know past the the um past that 13 to 15 season but chris archer has to be labeled as a massive disappointment though uh, <laughs> uh i feel like that's more on management just frankly that trade was dumb we happened to pick the worst possible time to go on an 11 game winning streak we were literally, like, we were two weeks away from being total sellers and completely changing the course of the next five plus years of this franchise. Could you imagine what this team would look like now if we had uh, Austin Meadows, who would, was good, Tyler Glass now, who was good, um, and we still... And that guy who's throwing triple digits. Yeah. That's good. I'm so dumb. But I remember everyone was praising the trade because they're like, we're going all in, we're going to make the playoffs, and then we just did not. Chris Archer, well, yeah, Chris Archer, and then he, and now he's back with Tampa Bay. Back with Tampa Bay. I think he got called up again. I think he's back with them now. Was he in the minors? Oh, yeah. That's how, that's how much he fell off. He was literally a Cy Young candidate in, again, going back to 2015. And uh, we he could have used him. What? I said we could have used him. Back yeah, then. well. Oh, well. Right. Anything else you want to say on the abysmal Pittsburgh Pirates? No. Nope. Um, you still don't have the worst record. Uh, 
Well, we have a chance. Uh, we're playing. It's going to be an old-fashioned tank bowl in the upcoming Diamondback series. <laughs> yes. All right. So, we won. Dang it, we won. <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? We won. Uh, so, our final thing on the agenda for this podcast is last episode. Uh, I went through and I predicted the pit football season for 2021. I predicted that our beloved Panthers would go eight and four. And now, Chris, it is time for your turn to make your predictions. So, as I pull the schedule up, we will get it kicked off September 4th at 4 p.m. We will play the University of Massachusetts at home. If we don't lose this game, I am personally going to Heinz Field and complaining. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. All right, and then game number two, we travel to Rocky Top, Tennessee to face the Volunteers at noon on the 20th anniversary of that fateful day in September. Obviously, rest in peace to all those we lost. Yeah. Um, and rest, rest in peace to um, all the soldiers, soldiers who died in the wars to follow. I think yeah. they often, I know this is a sports podcast, but a side note, um, I think they often get lost in, you know, the tragedy of what 9-11 is and, you know, how many people, you know, we lost. The soldiers who went in in Afghanistan in October later that year to go and defend this country um, after the attack and the many thousands who lost their lives, I feel like this often get overlooked. So rest in peace to all those we lost on the day and all the soldiers soldiers we lost afterwards and all the first responders that we continue to lose due to 9-11 cancers um, due to the smoke and, um, and asbestos they breathed and just trying to yeah. save people and clean the city up. So rest in peace and God be with all those families affected. Um, but that's for the football, which is why you're here, not to hear me feel about 9-11. <laughs> um, this is a toss-up game, man. I remember a couple years ago, we did the home-and-home home with Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State also beat us both times, but they were highly comp- No, the first game we should have won. I will never forget that game. We were kicking their butt, and then a thunderstorm delayed the game, and we lost because we came out cold in the second half, and Oklahoma State was, like, on fire for whatever reason. Very frustrating. If the thunderstorm does not happen, we win that game. I mark my word. Um, Tennessee. Tennessee's a tough environment. They're an SEC school. I also hate Tennessee. So for that reason, I'm going to go pick. <laughs> All right. So that you have us at 2-0 going into game number three. We return home on September 18th against Western Michigan. We will lose. Wow. Coming out the gate. No, because I, I think... We'll destroy Massachusetts, and then we'll, like, beat Tennessee in a game no one expects us to, and then we'll pit. Trap game. Trap game. When we are expected to roll after the high beating Tennessee, we'll lose to Western Michigan. All right. Uh, we better not lose this game. Uh, New Hampshire on September 25th, another home game. No. If we lose this game, I will also go to Heinz Field and riot. <laughs> All right. Not, not riot. We do not condone 
yeah, right. yes, we do not condone violence. Peaceful yes. protests of Please do not. If you go to Heinz Field after a pit loss or any loss, please protest peacefully. Correct. We at the Pittsburgh Sportscast do not condone violence. Official display. Of any kind. Unless you're being attacked in self-defense. Yeah. Okay. Then we go on October 2nd. We go to Atlanta to face Georgia Tech. That should be a win. Georgia Tech sucks. Okay. So that would make us 4-1. 4-2. and one. Four and two. Four Oh, and... yeah. 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 Okay, and then we go, we have a bye week, and then on October 16th, we go up to uh, Virginia Tech, the other tech. I think we won that one. We tend to play Virginia Tech pretty well. It's yeah, good. is on the road, though. It's one of the and few... Blackburn is a pretty intense environment. Yeah, but... it's one of those, one of the few tough hostile environments in the in the conference that's not basketball yeah obviously um and then we'll see if we can pull the upset on october 23rd it's a big home game against clemson i want to pick Pitt so bad but realistically they're not gonna win but though i will say realistically when we beat Deshaun watson no one figured that we'd beat them and we did. So, never rule it out, because Pitt is a classic team that will win a game that you do not expect them to, and then beat, and like lose to Western Michigan. That's what they do. <laughs> so, it's so frustrating. The amount of times that Pitt, um, like, beats a top five team, and then loses to the dumbest team. Blows my mind. Blows it. But yeah, we'll, prediction, we'll, win or we'll loss. probably lose. Actually, I might try to get tickets to that game. Oh, we'll probably lose. <laughs> All right, so that makes us, I think, what, five and two. Uh, yeah. We for pitch standards. <laughs> I know. Okay, and then we go another home game, another relatively high-profile matchup against the U. The U's another team that we play really well for whatever reason. Yeah. I think we'll win. Why not? Yeah. Shout out to RMU head coach Bernard Clark Jr., alumnus of Miami University. But then when we go down Tobacco Road to Duke, they're just waiting for basketball season, but your thought. We'll we'll be Duke. Duke's not good at football. We both know this. This is not right. That puts us at seven and two three games to go and then we we go back home for the other half of the tobacco road rivalry when we play unc they'll beat us because they always beat us for whatever reason yeah i think i think i was at the last home game they played against north carolina we lost Hmm. and then a final home game of the season game number 11 as the according to chris karofinski Seven and three Pitt Panthers play Virginia. Or, yeah, seven and three. Virginia's tough. They're like randomly good sometimes, and I really don't understand how or why. We will lose. Mm. 
So the eight or the seven and four Pitt Panthers will head to the Carrier Dome to close out the regular season. I yeah, we'll be Syracuse. Syracuse is going to play football. So it looks like our predictions um, end up with the same record. Eight and four. Oh, we have a different way of getting that though. Yeah, because I, 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 I don't think I had us losing to Western Michigan. I think I had us losing to Tennessee. Um, I think I had us losing to Tennessee, Virginia Tech, Clemson, and I think Virginia. Yeah, I have to go back and check the last episode. But yeah, I know I definitely did not predict the Western Michigan game. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Oh yeah, always. I, mean, I, I hope, hope we finish twelve and win the national title. How about that? <laughs> Pipe dream, I know. But... All right. Um, what do you think? I may cry. What do you think this gets us in terms of coastal division uh, standings? Dude, the coastal division is so out of whack. It always is. It always is. Yeah. Like, I was just... looking. I was looking at like the preseason. I think there's a preseason. Let me see if I can pull it up. Talk about something while I do this. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, leave a comment below if you have anything to say. We might respond to your comment on the air. We love interacting with our viewers and we love building our fan base that way if you're listening to us on other platforms make sure to follow us there uh also uh keep up to date with us on twitter at pgh sportscast uh we'll be trying to keep our twitter feed updated so that you know when our episodes come out uh you can also email us uh, Pittsburgh Sports Podcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions. And. Okay. okay. So I kind of found it. So this site, Fan Side, because I couldn't find the ESPN one that was updated. Yeah. Um, so Fan Side, it has Pitt. And this is, they didn't do, of course, they didn't go by division, they did overall. And they had Pitt ranked fifth overall in the ACC. Behind NC State, which isn't in our division. Behind Miami, which obviously is. Behind UNC, which is. And behind Clemson, obviously. So they would, they would have us, at least this website has us in third. Which is what I would call um, the other site that I originally found had us in third as well, I believe. Yeah. That sounds about right. I think I predicted um, second or third. It's just frustrating because the ACC Coastal is so weak, it feels like. Especially compared to the Atlantic. They have yeah. NC State. They have Clemson. Historically, they have Florida State, although they aren't quite what they used to be after Bobby Bowden retired and then Jameis Winston also left. Louisville, you know, historically is a very good team. Yeah. Kind of um, disappointed they're not in our division because... I always love that big East rivalry. Um, I don't know. Like, second and third is probably realistically what we should expect. But, like, yeah. there's, no, there's no reason we shouldn't go out and win it. 
Well, we, like, we're just gonna find a way not to, and I know that. <laughs> but, like, we should win it. Yeah. On paper, we have a chance against pretty much every team on the schedule except, except Clemson. True, and I'll be the like, one game we won. <laughs> of course. Well, we'll win that game, and then we'll, like, lose to New Hampshire. <laughs> right. That would be the most good thing ever. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> All right. I think we've hit it all. We are a little bit over time, past well past an hour onto this podcast. Uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening. Remember to follow us on all the socials and all your podcast networks. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the notification bell so that you know when we put an episode up. We hope to be returning to a regular schedule very soon. Um, it should get easier as we return to college and we're sitting in the same place again. Yes, but, and thunderstorms do not happen the night of football games and I do not get bitten in the face by a dog. That is very true. Until next time, though, uh, I'm Ryan. And I'm Chris. And we'll see you next time on the Pittsburgh Sports Cast. So long, everybody.